Hey, good morning. How you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Let me hear you. You excited to be here this morning? I, I, I think this is by far my favorite day of the week. I just enjoy being with you, and I enjoy uh, being able to be in this atmosphere. Come on, we just give it up for our worship team real quick. Come on, thank you for all that they do every week for leading us into worship. Hey, my name is Troy. Me and my wife, Darla, get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you're visiting with us, I just want to give you a, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the word. First, if you're looking to connect, we would love to connect with you. You can do that in a couple ways here at Victory. Uh, one, as you came in, you were handed kind of a paper connection card. You can do it that way. <clears throat> Or you can do what we call text to connect. That information will come on the screen. You can actually text the number, uh, or I'm sorry, text VICTORY18 to the number 31996, and that's going to send you a digital connection card, and you can fill that out for us. And there's a couple reasons for that. First is just so that we can meet you. Uh, I like to give you a contact throughout the week and just kind of tell you a little bit more about who we are and do our best to answer your questions. And it's also the best way to get you to your next step. We like to say here at VICTORY, you're here on purpose because you have a purpose. Love that. And we'd love to be able to get you closer to that. As the video said, uh, serving in different ways, using your gifts and talents for making an impact here in Smyrna and in Rutherford County. Um, and so also, if you do that, whether you fill it out on your phone or you know, on the actual paper card, when you leave, you can swing by our Welcome Center. And we just have a little gift we want to give you just to say, hey, thank you so much for hanging out with us this Sunday morning. Also, if you're looking for a way to give, uh, I want to say thank you to every person that gives every month faithfully to our church. We're able to do so much uh, not only inside the four walls, but outside the four walls because of your faithfulness. Uh, you can do that uh, three ways as well. You can do it through our online portal, where, whether it's our website or our app. You can text to give the same way you text to connect. That information will come up on the screen. Or as you're leaving out today, there'll be an auditorium host with a Victory Church bucket. You can drop check or, or cash, whatever it is you might want to do that way. I always like to take a moment and share where that money's going, because so many people uh, trust Victory with what, what we're doing through their finances, and I just like to share a little bit. I, I like to share a lot about outreach. I'll share that in just a moment, but I do want to hit on this for a moment. At the end of the year, uh, we preached through a series that talked about giving, and we talked about you know, committing to tithing and those kind of things. We took up our end-of-the-year offering. We announced last week that, that we shot over our girl goal was to raise $50,000. We are now, last time I checked, at $52,000. Come on and give God praise for that. 100% of that money is going to go towards getting our building ready, uh, sign up, chairs, new production equipment, all the stuff that we need for that. Uh, but it's been pretty cool because I've been talking to people, uh, and it seems like I've had a lot of these conversations over the past week or a half or so of people who started tithing out of that. They started tithing in the new year, and they just continue to share incredible stories about how God's blessing them because of it. And I am going to get those details and try to share those stories you know, specifically with you over the next couple weeks. But I've just learned that if you talk to anybody who's made that commitment to tithe. I've never met anybody who said, you know what? I started tithing and God just wasn't faithful, so I'm going to quit tithing. Like I've never met anybody who says that. Everybody who gives faithfully to God says, I don't know how to explain it, but my finances are blessed and why would I ever walk away from it? And so I just want to encourage you, if maybe that's you and you say, hey, I'm really interested in taking that step of faith, you can do that and then you can see God's faithfulness in it. Uh, I mentioned our building. Next week, our goal is to put into your hands some information. It'll have some of the, the dates of things that are happening between now and March when we get ready to move. But it's also going to have 
what we call FAQs, frequently asked questions on the bulletin. Our goal is just to answer some of those questions that you might have. Uh, if, if you do have a question, you can ask me after service and maybe we'll add it to the bulletin. But we're just trying to do our best to keep you informed. I like to say you can never over-communicate. And so over the next month and a half or so, we want to over-communicate information about the building and about the move so that you feel comfortable as we get ready to have our first service in that building. We just believe God's gonna do some great things Last but not least, I mentioned outreach. We have, I think it's 12 different outreach partners that we partner with outside of our church that we do ministry all over Rutherford County, Davidson County, different areas. And what I wanted to do this year is I wanted to take a month and really highlight each organization because I get up here for a moment and I share with you a little bit about that organization from Isaiah 117 uh, to some of our new ministries like Men of Valor. Uh, we have Empowerment Incorporated. We have all these different ministries and we wanted to kind of spend a little bit of time each month giving you a little bit more information so that you know what all we're doing. And so we're gonna try that out this month in February, starting next week. And the ministry that we're gonna focus on this month is our partnership with the North Rutherford YMCA. And so, as you know, I'm the chair of the board there and they do a lot of great ministries. And so they're gonna have tables here with information. My goal is to give you about a three-minute interview with the executive director, Hodge, who's just a phenomenal, phenomenal person. And I'm just excited to talk to you about their ministries from after breast cancer is an incredible ministry to their domestic violence recovery ministry, uh, to some youth outreach ministries. I just can't wait to tell you about it. And if I'm, I'm correct about this, I think I am, so be prepared for this. Next week, they're going to have uh, complimentary blood pressure testing here at Victory Church. And so it's something they're doing uh, next week throughout at the Y about a healthy week. And so they're going to bring it here first. And so if you're looking for that, we'd love to do that for you just to help you get healthy. Um, it's just, again, it's a partnership with a great ministry, and we can't wait for you to know more about it. Like I said, they'll have information outside in the lobby next week with all of the ministries that they do and for you to be able to get more information. So we're excited about that. Good? You excited? Anybody ready for the word? You ready? All right, let's get into it. All right, if you got your Bibles, whether it's on your phone or a paper Bible, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 7. So we're going to start in Romans chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 21 is where we're going to actually start, and we'll end in Romans chapter 8 as we read. We are in a series right now called Promises, and what we're doing is we're bringing to, to the surface the promises that God has made us throughout his scripture. We talked in the opening week about how there are over 7,000 promises that God has made us in his scriptures. And us as believers, we need to be declaring these promises. And so we've been taking, we obviously can't preach through all 7,000 of them, but we've been picking out different ones and when kind of highlighting them, ones that may be common to us, some that may not. And it kind of helps you go, oh, wow, I didn't know God promised me that. And it allows you to really hang on that. So I'm gonna introduce a promise to you today. I'm going to break it down a little bit. Romans chapter 7, verse 21 is where we'll start reading. On the slide, it says 12 because I made that mistake, but it is actually 21 uh, going to 8-2. So here we go. It's Paul speaking. Paul, the apostle Paul, he was Saul. He was one who walked through uh, being a champion for the law, and then he met Jesus and became a champion of grace. And so here he is talking. He says, so I find this law at work, law like the law of gravity, right? I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So first of all, he says, I want to do good. Anybody in here want to do good? Just want to make sure you want to do good, but there's, there's this issue that I have that's stopping me from do that, doing that. And he says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law because God's law is good. Like I delight in it because it's good. But I see another law at work in me 
And these laws, they're at war, waging war against in the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So he says, now I'm a prisoner to the law of sin that's in me. Watch this statement. He says, what a wretched man I am. What a terrible person. I, have you ever said that before? You ever done something just like, man, I'm a horrible person. I'm a terrible person. Paul screams it out. What a wretched man I am. And then watch this. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What a terrible person I am. Who can help me? Who can rescue me? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's what we sang about this morning, freedom through Jesus. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. So now there's a different law at work in me, and it's the law of grace, thanks to Jesus Christ. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. So again, there's this war, right? My, my flesh wants to go back to the law of sin, but I have been set free by the law of grace. And here's how Paul sets out a promise for us that we find in Scripture. He says, therefore, there is now no, everybody say no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So what Paul does is he brings to surface a promise we find all throughout Scripture in different ways and in different forms, and the promise is this. That you, being a follower of Jesus Christ, you having Christ in you, the promise is that there is no condemnation for you. That's the promise. It's an incredible promise, and I want to break that down a little bit for you today. Now, I'm going to give you the title of my message, and this is the real title. I shared the title with the worship team, and Bree said, that's not really your title, is it? And I said, yes, it is really my title, um, and, and, and I'm going to give it to you in case in case for any reason you go, oh, I'm, I'm leaving this church right now. Uh, I just need to set you up. There will be a moment in the sermon where the title makes more sense. But this is one of those theological titles. This is one of those titles that you have to have a degree uh, in, some, you know, in hermeneutics or eschatology. You have to have gone through Bible college for three or four years for you to really grasp this title. So if you'll hang tight with me, it'll be, it, you know, you'll start to get revelation. Here we go. The title is this. Don't poop on my parade. All right. There you go. I know you're thinking, wow, that is so Old Testament-based, and the theology there is strong. I'll explain it in a moment, but, but I just need you to really let that sit in your spirit. Don't poop on my parade. And so uh, I would have put the emoji up there if I could, but I don't know how to do that. And so there you go. Don't poop on my parade. Uh, before we get to that, let me share a couple of things. I was reading a book recently, and the book talked about how in New York City there is this clock and the clock is 25 feet tall. It weighs over 1,500 pounds, and to operate, it needs over 300 light bulbs. It is constantly operating. It is never not working, and it is all to distribute or to, uh, to reveal to the world the debt of the United States. They call it the National Debt Clock. That's what it is. It's in New York City. You go to it. 25 feet tall. You can Google it after church. Don't get on your phones now. But you can Google it after church, and you can see it. And it's just constantly operating, and it's constantly updating, and it's just showing the world what our national debt is. So in case you were ever super excited to see how in debt we are, uh, you can run over and check out that clock. Now, the article I read on it said that they're actually in works right now to renovate it, 
so that they can, they can uh, show on there, display on there, uh, quadrillion dollars, in case that makes you feel really good, okay? So the national debt clock, at some point, they're trying to make room for quadrillion dollars. But as I read that article, it may, immediately made me think about this. In our Bibles, our sin is referred to as debt. Our sin is debt. And it's a debt that separates you and me from God. So then I had this thought. What if heaven had a debt clock? You know what I mean? What if it was just up there 25 feet tall, 1,500 pounds, 300 light bulbs, and as you walked up to the pearly gates to see if your name was in the book of life, you just had this, this clock setting off to the side, and it had your name and under your name were all of the sins you had committed, just like a deck. Better yet, what if the clock was attached to you? What if you were like Flavor Flav and you wore it on a chain? When's the last time you had a Flavor Flav reference in church, right? And you just wore it as a chain over you and you just walked around and it just, it just went like this. It's every, every time you lied, click, <laughs> click, click, click. Every bad thought you had, click, click. Click, click. And because we can't read thoughts, you would be like in the line at Kroger and the person would, would you ever had that person cut you off in the line? You know what I'm talking about? Like you've been waiting and they think they're better than you. And so they move over and it would just be like, click, 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 click. Your kid would get up out of their bed and come into your room for the 37th time that night. And you'd be laying in bed and it'd be like, click, 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 click. Like, which one's going higher, you or your spouse, right? It's just, you imagine that? Like, everywhere you went, click, click, you said a bad word, click, you got on I-24, click, 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 click. Just, and you just got to watch it time after, and here was the thought I had. If my debt clock, my spiritual debt clock was hanging around my neck from the moment I was born till right now, you and I would have to be thinking up a way to renovate that sign to fit quadrillion. I'd have to be finding out a way. And yet for some of us, that's kind of the difficulty of religion or Christianity. It's here we are singing freedom. Here we, all, here we are hearing Paul say that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet honestly, what we've been taught, or at least what we've been led to believe, is that you and I have this debt clock that we are constantly trying to monitor to make sure that one more number isn't added to it. Matter of fact, if we were to be honest, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't need religion to tell me that I'm not good. I, I don't need Christian, I don't need a church service, I don't need a preacher to remind me that I'm not good. I am plenty aware of the fact that I have missed the mark. In fact, there are so many times where I don't meet my own expectations. So I don't need you to tell me how I don't meet yours because there are so many times where I don't even meet mine. But yet what happens is we have this realization of our moral debt and it sends us into this frenzy of good works. All this behavior modification and all these things we can do so that we can stop that, 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 that clock from going tick, 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 tick. And it's literally a frenzy of good works. Meanwhile, listen to me, the gospel is the story that our debt was too much, that it was enough to sink us. Yet God loved us too much to leave us, and therefore he found a way to save us. 
And that's where I find tension, is that as the years that I've grown up in church and in religion, I find myself exhausted trying to monitor this debt clock, yet you're telling me that the gospel is the realization that God loved me so much that he came up with a plan to save me. And therefore, it led me this promise of no condemnation because I talk to Christians all the time who are condemned. Some self-condemned. Some have been in environments that taught condemn, condemning. And yet I'm hearing Paul preach the promise that for you and for me, if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And so therefore, I wanted to address something today. And here's what I wanted to address. I wanted to talk about our resumes of righteousness. That's what I want to put on blast for a moment this morning. You and I, we both have resumes of righteousness. You know what a resume is. You get ready to get a job and you write down all your accomplishments, how many jobs you've had. You write down the two people who would say the best about you. You know what I mean? Like there's certain people you're not putting on that resume, but you call grandma. Can I put you on my third resume? Because you'll say, oh, my baby's so precious. You know what I mean? And we build out this resume of all of our accomplishments. And I think spiritually, this is what we do. We put together a resume of our righteousness. And that always gets in the way of grace and what God wants to do. And it's our personal resumes of righteousness that move us back into a place of condemnation. So I want to talk about that this morning. Let's go back to Romans chapter 4 for a moment. I want you to see what Paul says about this. He says, what does Scripture say? When it comes to our resumes of righteousness, we should always go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? Well, here's what Scripture says. That Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul says, listen, Abraham was considered righteous. Not because of what Abraham did. Listen, I could tell you some stories about Abraham. He has got some stories, but yet he's considered righteous. How could a man who was so unrighteous be considered righteous? Because righteous was credited to him. He didn't earn it. It was credited to him because he believed in God. And I love this. Paul said, to the one who works, to the one who's working on their resume, Wages are not credited as a gift, watch this, but as what? An obligation. To the one who has to work on their resume, now you're obligated. Now you're exhausted. Now you're condemned. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. There is so much meat in those scriptures, I don't have the time to pick it off. This is, this is like a good hot wing where you eat off the bone and the marrow. You know what I mean? It's one of those kind of verses, but I'm sorry, babe. I know you're vegan. I don't have those kind of time right now. But Paul is so clear that we need to put aside our resume of righteousness and understand that by having faith in Jesus, we are then credited righteousness. I don't know about you, but I'm learning this about me, that my natural inclination is to do something in order to gain or to regain God's approval and acceptance. It's just naturally in me. Long before I ever went to church, before I ever, I went into church at 17 years old, before I ever walked into the door of a church, there was something already in me that knew I better do good for God. 
If I don't, you know, I always picture God like Ariel's dad in The Little Mermaid. You know what I'm talking about? To where he was going to like get me with his little triton stick if I didn't do something right. Like I always understood that there was something in me, naturally in me, that felt like I needed to do something to gain or to regain God's acceptance or approval. And therefore, as a result of that, watch this, my life became a quest to be better, to do enough, and to accomplish more, all so that I could build my resume of righteousness. Let's be honest real quick, just so I know I'm talking to the right people. Anybody in here been working on your resume of righteousness? Anybody? Thank you, you seven honest people. Everybody else, they know they got one. They know you got one. You're building it by not putting your hands in the air. We all got it. It's interesting. I, uh, in North Carolina, there's a Marine Corps station. And in that station, often they'll fly out jets. And as you can imagine, when a jet flies out, it's very loud. And that particular station is in the middle of neighborhoods with houses and so on. And so they started getting complaints because when those jets would fly out of there, obviously it would rattle and the noise and all that kind of stuff would happen. And so they were getting complaints from people who live in the area. So they put up a sign. You can actually find this online. They put up a sign and here's what the sign says. Right outside of their station, it says, pardon our noise. It's the sound of freedom. Isn't that good? Like quit complaining. (laughs) I know you don't like the sound, the loud noise, but it's the sound of freedom. And I heard that story years ago. And when I heard it then, and when I thought about it today, I had the same thought. If there were ever a place, if there was ever a place that should have to apologize for the noise, if there was ever a building that should be shaking because of the sound of freedom, if there should ever be a place where you'd have to put earplugs as you come in the door because it's so loud, because a room of free people are shouting and praising and dancing and cutting backflips, if there was ever a place, it's the church. Am I right? If there was ever a place, it's not SoFi Stadium next Sunday. Especially since the Chiefs aren't going. That's a whole other sermon. I had to get on a couch for that one. But if there was ever a place, the church should be that place. And from the day I walked into a church, I didn't understand it. When I walked in and there wasn't this insane excitement, I I was a little confused. You know what my my very first uh, experience of a church was? It was the church service in the movie Footloose. Y'all ever seen any sinners in here with me? You ever seen that movie Footloose? Yeah. If you, if you haven't seen it before, uh, you, it's, it's a terrible scene. Everybody, like they're sweating, and so they don't, I guess they don't have air conditioner. I don't know. And there's like a little kid falling asleep, and his dad's waking him up. He's falling back, and the pastor's preaching this hell, fire, and brimstone message, and you can tell like nobody wants to be there. And that was so confusing for me. Like, like, why would no, why would you come? You don't have to come. So why would you come if you don't want to be there? Like, it's not your job. Some of them it is. But, but, but why would you come? And then I remember the first time I got invited to a youth service at my church in Memphis. My friend Brian invited me. We came. We walked in. Darla was singing on the stage. So it was like, ah, like all these lights and everything. 
But before I saw her, they had, they had stuff in the back kind of like that, like awnings. And I came around the awning and there were like, I don't know, 100, 200 teenagers. And they all had their hands up in the air and some were on their knees. And there was just this thing. People were jumping up and down and there was all this excitement. And I thought, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. If there was ever a place that should be so filled with excitement, it's the church. Because we are free. Free from the law of sin because of what Jesus Christ did. Yet for some reason, in churches all over the world, people are throwing their hands up in weariness and exhaustion instead of lifting their hands up in worship and freedom. Defeated because they've been taught that solution to our sin is rule-keeping. That's why you can walk into a place that should be filled with excitement and you look like you feel like you're walking into visitation time at a prison because you got a group of people who have been taught that the only way that your sin will ever be forgiven is if you keep the rules. But the last time I read my Bible, God never approached me with a list. He approached me with an engagement of relationship. So I'm learning that my solution to my sin is not rule keeping. I'm learning that the solution to sin is just believing in the fact that Jesus Christ did what I could never do so that I could be set free. And that, this is what the environment I, listen, I don't want people to be excited about church because of lights. It's cool that we got them. Hopefully we'll have better ones as we get into a building. I don't want you to be excited because of coffee. You know, don't look, we have phenomenal kids ministry, but don't be excited because you get an hour and a half without your kids. Okay. Be excited about that. It's okay. Praise God for that. Nobody tell our kids team that we are basically just hanging out while they babysit our kids. I don't, I don't want people to be excited because of great worship, although I love great worship. And I don't even want people to be excited because of the sermon. I want people to be excited because they understand that they are set free because of what Jesus Christ did. And you know what happens when, they, when you understand that? Is it doesn't matter what happens up here. You're just happy to be here. You ever been somewhere where you shouldn't be happy, but you're just happy to be there? If you've ever been away from your kids, you could be at Kroger and you would think it was the Bahamas. You see a mama walking through Kroger and she's smiling and she's moving real slow. Don't get mad at her. She's left her husband at home with the kids and she's taking her time. Right? I'm married. I've seen her do it. But I ain't mad about it. Because she is just excited to be there. Could you imagine if every church in America just got excited to be there? Just got excited that I don't live by law anymore. But I'm saved, redeemed, washed in the blood, set back, released. Could you imagine what would happen if we just got excited about that? but well, we can't get excited. <laughs> I've only been here two Sundays this month. So therefore, God is mad at me. Can't get excited. That's my, I don't know what that is, but. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. 
Darla loves, my wife, Darla loves Universal Studios. She, she's a huge Universal Studios fan. Every year we try to go <clears throat> without our kids, and we try to go, <laughs> I love you, baby, and we try to go and just, just get away for a moment. And, and so she, she's, when we leave Universal, she's already planning our next trip to Universal. That's how our life is. And so it's December, and she's telling me, she's like, babe, you know, we, we need to go to Universal. Can we go, you know, January, into January, beginning of February? And I'm like, babe, we can't. Like, that's way too close to Christmas. We got a few other things coming up. I don't think we can pull that off financially. Like, you just, you know, I get it. I want to take you, but that's too soon. And Darla has a few side hustles that she has. Like, during Christmas, she sold hot cocoa bombs, and she made, like, $40,000. And so, <laughs> not really. It was, like, thirty nine, But it was just a great, great success. And so she says to me, she says, can we go if I pay for it? And I was like, if you pay for it, of course we can go, all right? Now, let me explain what I mean by if you, like, we have money that is our, our monthly account, and then she has some money she makes on the side that we can kind of do whatever we want to with it, right? We can kind of enjoy it, bless people, whatever we want to do. So she was talking about if she paid for it out of that amount, could, and I'm like, yes, 100% yes, we can go. We can go right now if you pay for it. And, and in case you don't know, I'm, I'm really, uh, not cheap, that's a bad word, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really attentive to our bank account, all right? Let's put it that way. I like to have money. I don't like to spend money. You know what I mean? Like the more we spend, the less we have, and that math doesn't work for me. And so I like to keep it. And so I'm always a stickler about these things. But I say, hey, if you pay for it, we'll go. So she, she figures some stuff out, puts some money aside, talks to some friends that we have in Orlando, and she comes back and she says, all right, the only thing that we'll have to pay for out of our bank account is our food. And if we want any souvenirs, which we don't do souvenirs because we're old. And so I was like, all right, cool, cool. That's awesome. Just food. Great. So now I'm excited. So we go on this trip. We get to Universal, we're in the park, and, and my wife is very strict, she's very health-focused until we get on vacation. And then things just go, go crazy. So we're walking to the park and she's like, can I get a pretzel? Or, she didn't ask, I'm sorry. She said, uh, you wanna get a pretzel? And I immediately start thinking about money signs, right? Because pretzels in a theme park are like $37. And so I was like, I said, here's what I said, honestly, I said, but do we need two? Like, could we just split one? You know what I mean? Like, you get wishbone it, we'll just pull it apart. Whoever gets the biggest side gets it. And she's like, fine, whatever. You know, so then we get to Harry Potter World, and she's like, can we get some ice cream? And I'm like, you just had coffee. You know what I mean? That coffee was $9. Do we need to get an ice cream cone too? And so I'm like attacking all this stuff. Look, she wanted a pizza at 10 o'clock at night after we had had dinner and ice cream. <laughs> Y'all better stop. We're trying to spend $2,000 on food. So I'm like, no, we can't. Like, this is too much. And then she got it anyway because she's the wife and husbands. We just do happy wife, happy life. Here, buy it. I don't care. And then I ate more of the pizza than she did. That, my friends, is wrong. So here's the point of this story. I'm, I'm super like, no, I'm, I'm doing a calculation. I'm typing in my phone what we spend at these places. I, I go to this one restaurant, and I'm like, I, I, if I get a salad, it's $9 less than if I get a pork chop, so I'm just going to get a salad because it's $9. You know, like the whole world's going to end on $9. So we go into this Jimmy Fallon ride. We ride the Jimmy Fallon ride, and we come out of Jimmy Fallon into the souvenir shop thing. And, and Jimmy Fallon does a character. If you don't know who Jimmy Fallon is, he's a late, late night talk show host. He was on Saturday Night Live. He does this character called Sarah, okay, where he dresses up Sarah, right? He dresses up, puts a wig on, got fake braces, and he's like, ow. Like, that's kind of how he talks. Like, ow, that's gross. And, and so she loves that character. So she's taking pictures, you know, with the character. Uh, and she goes over to the, to the souvenir area for Sarah stuff. And there's this hat. And the hat is pink 
and like glittery and sequences, and it has a pink bow on the top of it, and it has the word ew, E-W, exclamation point, on the hat and like rhinestones, and she picks it up and she puts it on. She looks hilarious, and she's in the mirror, and she's like, I think I'm going to get this. I was like, no, you're not. I said, how much is it? She said, $25. I said, you, for a hat? I said, ain't no way. I, I didn't even want to buy our kids souvenirs from the park. She had to make us do that. Sorry, baby. I feed you. I figured that's enough. And so she puts on his hat, and I said, I said, look, we're not doing that. And she said, fine. She takes the hat off. Watch this. I'm not lying to you. She looks me dead in my eyes, and she says, stop pooping on my parade. And here was, her, here's, here was her whole process. She said, I'm on vacation. In her mind, she's put aside a lot of money so that we could get away from reality for a moment. And she does not want my little stickler self following her behind with a calculator going, I'm not sure we can do that. And that's who I am. She's like, I'm on vacation. And I kept trying to drag her back into reality. She's like, leave me alone. Stop pooping on my parade. And it was at that moment that God dropped this theological truth in my mind. It was eschatology, hermeneutics. It was, I'm talking, it, it, you had to have some type of, 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 of doctorate in religion for you to be able to grasp this. If you went to Bible college for six years, you couldn't unveil this kind of biblical truth. God said to me, you ready? You ready? You ready? Religion poops on grace's parade. That's deep, y'all. I expected like a 75-year-old professor to come up with that. Religion poops on grace's parade. And here's why. Because grace wants to celebrate what Jesus did. Religion keeps wanting you to focus on what you can never do. See what I mean? So religion has a way of pooping on grace's parade. There you go, Bree. That's why I did that. It's important for us to understand. It's important for us to be able to grasp. Can I tell you something? If you're not careful, somebody will teach you the theology that God is ashamed to deal with bad people. As if God loves to work with the righteous but work with the unrighteous under the table. Like, I'm, I'm here with this person and tell the whole world that I love this person and tell the whole world that, that they're a God father. But, if, but this individual, we just, can we just be quiet about it? Can we, shh, can we just kind of work? And when you're taught that, or at least you're taught something that makes you believe that, as if God is somewhat ashamed with the fact that he is having to forgive you even though you can't do anything right. When you think that, you start to move in this realm of thinking that misunderstands grace. And even though grace is available, you still work on your resume of righteousness. As if we think that the more we update our resume, the higher we get in the relationship with God. The more I do, the more he'll like me. The better my, the better my resume is, the better chance I have of being high up with God. But when you read the Bible, watch this. Just a few things that the Bible says. 
It says this right here. It says that he makes right the ones that are not right. Okay? It says that he makes holy the filthy, that he purifies the impure, that he calls the wicked blameless. And we just read that he justifies the godly. Now, can I ask you something? If you were trying to hide the fact that you like to help those that will never get it right, be right, would you put it all throughout the book that you know is going to be the best-selling book of all time? Would you constantly find new ways to tell people that you justify the ungodly if you didn't want them to know that you justify the ungodly? God is not hiding away from the fact that he makes right those who deserve the opposite. Your God is not ashamed to forgive you despite how horrible your resume is. He is confident in who he is. And he is clear on who we are. So he is perfectly fine to make the wicked blameless and to justify the ungodly because it's who he is and it's what he does. And when we move into a realm where we have to fix up our own resume, not only do we cheapen grace, but we walk away from the actual purpose of the story of Christ to begin with. And we take what he's already done and put it in our hands to try to do. But here's the deal. The problem that you and I have with Jesus is not that he gives life and grace freely. The problem that we have with Jesus is that we have to admit that we need it. It's hard to convince people that Jesus is a great savior when they don't think they need saving. Can I show you some, probably one of the funniest moments in scripture, John chapter eight, let's go there real quick. John chapter eight. Let me give you, this, this is the setup where, where Jesus is going, he's talking, well, I'll just read it to you, I'm sorry. Here we go, John chapter 8, 31, 33. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. This is the same amount, the same, same uh, section of scriptures where he says, whoever is free in the Son is free Indeed, if you're free in the sun, free made by or made free by the sun, you're free indeed. Watch this. This is what he's telling him. He says, if you follow me, if you love me, the truth will set you free. And they answer him. What do they say? Thank you, Jesus. We could have never done it without you. What do they say? Oh, we're so glad you died for our sins that we could stop trying to deal with this resume. No, what do they say? This is so great. Watch this. We are Abraham's descendants. And we have never been slaves. Of anyone. <laughs> now here's the stupidity of that statement. Is their whole history was slavery. You know what I mean? That'd be, if I got up here this morning and I said, y'all are all sinners. But I have never done one thing wrong. You wouldn't even leave the church because you'd be like, he's stupid. Like, he, he, something's wrong with him. He doesn't understand. Darla would be the first one to stand up and be like, I want to testify. <laughs> and I'm just trying to process Jesus telling these people, guess what? You do not need to focus on your resume. You're free despite 
your resume. And they thought it made sense to answer him by going, huh? I ain't never done nothing wrong. Never been a slave. We have been free. Our No, you haven't. And it was in that study, and then, look, this, this is the statement. I wrote it down because I don't want to forget it. But it, it, here was the revelation I had. When we think our freedom depends on our actions, watch this. We will always remember ourselves better than we actually are. Y'all didn't get it. When we think our freedom depends on our performance, our good works, we will always remember ourselves better than we actually are. I like to call it achievement amnesia. <laughs> you find somebody who thinks it's about good works and they will present themselves to you way better than they actually are. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I've, I've only said three cuss words today. My average is seven. So I'm doing real good. You know what I mean? Like it's that kind of, like we just go into this amnesia moment where we forget that we are terrible people. That we have, listen, I'm not even talking about the stuff you act on, just the stuff you thought about. You had thoughts when you walked in here today. When I said we went to Universal, you went, I hate him. <laughs> you sinned on me right there. Like it just happens all the time. Listen, how many in here got some, a kid in the range of three to seven? You got a kid in the range three to seven. All right, first of all, we're gonna start a small group, it's a counseling small group. Um, can't tell you what we're going to do with that small group, but it's going to be a way to recover from our children. But I'm in this season, we're in this season, where, where Casey Ray will blow up. She's my seven-year-old. She'll just blow up. Like something goes wrong. I mean, it's zero to 100. There is no 37. There is no 64. It's zero to 100. It's like, can I get cheese? I hate everybody! Like, and I'm not, am I kidding? I'm not kidding. I mean, it's bad. So then we have these conversations with her, you know, where we're kind of like, hey, you know, you need to be better. You need to have a better day today. We're talking about it through stuff. And here's what she'll do. Uh, and this actually happened a couple days ago. She had woken up and she was eating her breakfast. She had been awake for maybe three minutes. And I'm making her waffles and she goes, hey, dad. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, am I doing good today? And I was like, I, I didn't want to lie. I was like, you're doing great. But it's been three minutes. You know, and maybe two minutes goes by. And she's like, dad. Have I been doing good? I'm like, babe, you got to stop this. Like, like, we're five minutes into the day, okay? Here's what happened last night. Yesterday, we had a birthday party we went to, we hung out with some friends, and then we had a card dinner night with some friends. We went to that, and so we're, we're leaving that. So my daughter has been awake all day having a blast with all of her friends. We're headed home. Here's what she says to her mom. She says, Mom, did I have a good day? I immediately thought about us asking God that, right? God, did I, did I do okay today? Like, I know what I said to that person that, that was asking me that question at work, but other than that, like, did I have a good day? And here's what Donna said. She said, yeah, you had a couple of, of explosions. <laughs> here was Casey Ray's response. Yeah, but they were like medium explosions. <laughs> they weren't large explosions. They're, but isn't that us? Isn't that us trying to justify our good works? Where we're like, hey, God, did I... Did, did I do okay today? And God's like, well, you did cuss out your neighbor. And you're like, yeah, but that word's not really a cuss word. You know what I mean? Like, let's be honest. You know, like, like that's kind of the way, like we're always trying, but it was just a medium explosion. But when we embrace grace, we realize that gone is the fear of failing. Gone is the quest to be better. Gone is the question, did I do enough? Gone is the resume 
of righteousness. Now, there's nothing wrong with growing and doing better for the Lord. I think I'm going to preach about that next week. But it's different when you feel like you have to do it to be able to walk in this freedom of no condemnation. Listen to me. God does not stand on a mountain and tell us to climb it and find him. He comes down into our dark valley and finds us. He does not offer to pay our debt minus a dollar if we'll pay the dollar. He pays every penny. He doesn't offer to complete the work if we start it. He does all the work. He does not bargain with us to clean up our lives so that he can help. He washes our sins without our help. In his resume, you are the focus of the celebration. Not what you've done, you. Our small group, we were meeting on Thursdays. We've, we've taken a break for a couple weeks. We're going to get started here. And we'll have more information soon about small groups. You want to be in one? You need to be in one. Our, ours was amazing. Every testimony I heard from small groups were amazing. People were just, it's incredible. Men's ministry starting out of small groups. We'll hear more about that. It's just phenomenal time. We're in our small group one night. And Chris is leading it. And he, I don't remember what question he asked. But the question introduced this idea of like what your past religion experience was like before you came to victory. And I have been saved since about 18, if you want to talk about saved, 20. But, you know, I was in church, been in church for a long time. And so we start talking about it. It was wild. We had different, different races, different ages, different groups of people, couples, single people, all different. And everybody's answer looked the same. It, they had come from this religion background that it was all about your works. It was all about how good had you been? What was your performance? And it got around to me, and mine was the same way. I remember coming to church at first, and I didn't know that at first, but then I was taught that. And it wasn't like teaching, listen to me, it wasn't teaching from the pulpit. My pastor was amazing. It was the attitude of the room. And it was the things people would say in passing and hangouts where I started to go, okay, I'm picking up on this. My level of spirituality depends on my performance. I just naturally put that together. And that's kind of what I hung religion or Christianity on. And then I read a verse. And that verse, the Lord, something the Lord showed me, turn. And I just wanted to gift that with you today as we close. So when you came in, you were, you were given this, all right? So if you got one of these, get it out for a second. You can just set it in your lap. You don't have to hold it, but, but you need it. If you came in and you thought, this is the dumbest idea ever, just hang tight. It might be the best moment you've ever had in your life, okay? So, so I'm going to read the verse, and then I'm going to explain this. So it's in Isaiah 64, verse 6. I'm reading to you the message paraphrase because it's a little bit easier for us to grasp in our language, and it's important that we grasp this, okay? So here it is. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this. We've sinned, and we've kept at it so long. We've done this for so long. In the words of my favorite comedian, Nate Bargatze, we've been doing this so long. Like, it's so long. They're just getting started, and we're almost done, right? We've been sinning for a long time. And then watch what it says. Is there any hope for us? Can we be saved? Did you catch the comparison to what Paul was saying in Romans? I'm a wretched man. Can anybody save me? Isaiah says, can anybody save us? We're all, I love this, we're all sin-infected and sin-contaminated. Can I wear a mask so that I won't sin? I, you know, what can I, is there a way for me to not catch this? No, we've all sinned and we all will sin. And this is great. But our best efforts are grease-stained 
rags. The version I read when I felt like the Lord first gave me this illustration, it said, but we're like filthy rags. And the illustration is this, that Christ would be a spotless, bleached, white rag. And our grease-stained rags or our filthy rags this would be our resume of righteousness. So when I show up to your house and you want to know how spiritual I am, I just show you my resume, right? This, this, is, this is how spiritual I am. Here, here's my resume. And religion teaches us a few different things about this. The first thing it teaches us is this. Um, how can I work to keep my rag from getting dirtier, right? Like what, what do I need to do how can I do this and do that? And then when I mess up and I get a stain on it, ah, oh, look what I did. So here's what we do. Because we can't keep it clean, here's what we do. We start comparing resumes. You know what I mean? Like, hey, David, let me see. You got your rag? Oh, you don't got a rag? We got to get you a rag. Mel, you got a rag? What are we doing here, church? Anybody got a rag? Nick, hold your rag up for a second. Let me see your rag. Let me see it. Turn around. Oh, crud, yours is cleaner than mine. I think I got the dirtiest rag. Erica, you're so wrong. Anybody, anybody, let me see your, let me see your rag. Miss Jennifer, oh, you know yours is spotless. I can't, I can't get near you. Oh, Dana's, yours is so dirty. Oh, yeah, kid. Let me see them, let me see them, everybody. That's what we start doing, right? This is, tell me this is not what we do with our resume of righteousness. Uh, I'm more spiritual than him, right? And we come over here and be like, oh, no, they pray more. I can't be near them. You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, goodness. We start, we start comparing resumes. And then, here's what that leads to. The more that we compare our resumes to each other, and the more that we surround ourselves with people who have dirtier rags, because if your rags are dirtier than mine, I feel better about my performance. But I can't be around somebody who's performing better than me because I think that my performance is what depends on whether or not I get to be with God, right? And so here's what we end up doing. We end up moving into comparing our resume with Jesus's resume. And we start to go, there's, there's no comparison to that. And we start to get upset by the expectations of religion and our inability to ever be able to match up. And we get to a point, watch this, where we're so frustrated at the comparison that we just throw our hands up in exhaustion and walk away. Do you know how many people have walked away from Jesus because they thought religion was all about comparing their resume to his? Do you know how impossible that is? He's the son of God. He was, I told you last week, he was 100% man, he was 100% God, and he never sinned so that his rag could be spotless, so that you wouldn't have to worry about yours. But we're being taught to get into this comparison mode and it's exhausting. And we know we'll never win this comparison, so we start comparing it to other people, and sometimes we win and sometimes we don't, and then we try to clean our own rag, and we can't clean our own rag, and the entire time the Bible's saying, stop! You are condemned by this resume of righteousness, and it was never supposed to be that. The gospel of grace is this. Jesus never wanted you to compare your rag to his. He wanted you to trade your rag for his. 
He wanted you to be able to say, hey, hey, here you go. You take this. There's a verse in the Bible, you may have heard it before, where he says, uh, I'm gonna mess it up. My burden, my, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is illustrating that. Because what we tend to do in church is like hand this to God, but not let go. You know what I mean? Like, ah, I think before you take it, I think I can do better. And Jesus is saying, look, if you would just release it and then grasp on to this. Now, here's the best part about Jesus's resume, Jesus's rag. He doesn't give it to you so that you can keep it clean. Oh, boy. <laughs> I got a do-over, right? I, 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 I got to restart. But now I got to work extra hard to keep this clean. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It didn't work that way. That towel is eternally spotless. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is walk in it. All you have to do is believe. And then you are credited with righteousness. I'm trying to earn righteousness. God says, I'll put it on credit. I'll give this to you. Don't worry about keeping it clean. You couldn't get it dirty if you tried. Just walk in that freedom. If, if we hang on tight to our resume, we're always going to be searching for a way to come up with reasons that God should love us. And the more you search your resume, you'll always find ways that he shouldn't. You'll always find reasons that he shouldn't. And so the goal is to give up your resume, stop writing your resume of righteousness, and just receive his. Does it make sense? I was talking to a friend of mine about this subject, this, this concept. And this has kind of been the message in my heart for years. Again, I got saved at 17, 18 years old. It wasn't, I, I didn't, it took me a while to learn religion. And I remember years ago when I was in church, I had pastor friends, I would talk about this kind of message. And they would say things like this, you can't preach that. And I would say, why not? And they would say, because people will learn to abuse it. And that's a real thing. Paul talks about it. He says that we should not allow grace to become a crutch so that we then continue on sinning. That's true. But I just remember people saying to me all the time, like, yeah, we don't preach that. Because you start preaching that and people will just use that grace as, a, as permission to go on doing whatever they want to do. And because of that statement, I used to walk away and not preach it. And then I had this revelation. It's not my responsibility to monitor how you use grace. It's my responsibility to get you as close to Jesus as I can possibly get you. And when you get there, you figure grace out. That's between you and God, because I believe the closer you get to him, the less you'll be concerned with how can I get away with it, and the more concerned you'll be with, pour it on me, daddy. You know what I mean? So I'm done with this concept of not preaching it because you may abuse it. I'm in this mindset of how do I get you close to it? How do I get you to see it? How do I get you to understand that in his resume, he loves you no matter what you've done? That's his resume. 
In his resume, he doesn't love you because of what you've done. In his resume, he could not love you more and he will never love you less. In his resume, you are the focus of the celebration, not what you've done, you. So I say all that to say this, I need to close. The reason why I want to put something in your hands, because when you walk out of here today, the devil will try to tempt you to pull back out your resume of righteousness. And that's just a way for you to remember that God made you a promise because I can't be condemned when all I have to do is believe in Jesus's resume, but I can be condemned when I'm trying to build mine. So the promise is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, when you accept it, if you accept Jesus, when you accept Jesus, you make that shift and it's no longer about what you can do. It's all about what he has done. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you right now for your word so alive, ministering to our hearts, Father. I just pray for this illustration, for what it did for me, I pray it do for every person in this room. They'd walk away realizing that it's not about what they do, it's not about how they perform, it's not about their resume. It's about accepting what you've done, walking in that freedom, walking in that salvation, walking in that purity, walking in that righteousness. Abraham was credited by faith righteousness. And Father, so are we. And so we just take a moment. Do me a favor, everybody stand in this room. We're just gonna close by singing together, worshiping together, giving you an opportunity to kind of respond to this message. There's a song that talks about how Jesus paid it all. And it's an opportunity for you to just respond to that message today. Whatever the Lord's speaking to your heart, for those people that you've been raised for a long time believing and it was about your resume, now's your opportunity to just release it. Now's your opportunity to embrace his resume, his freedom, his grace, his righteousness. You are righteous because of him. So Father, we thank you. Come on, man, go ahead and lead us into that song as we worship you this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you.